Our scripture reading for this morning is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Brookside. Uh, my name is Bill Gorman. I serve as the campus pastor here. So grateful that you're here uh, with us this morning, especially if this is your, your first time at Christ Community, or maybe even this is your first time uh, at church in a long time, or maybe uh, for the first time. So thanks for coming, especially if you're, if you're newer, newer to Christ Community, newer to church. Um, it can be hard to walk into a new church um, or a church for the first time. I'm really glad that you've done that today, and thanks so much that uh, that you're willing to spend some time with us here at uh, Christ Community this morning. Um, Except I'm the campus pastor here, I would love to take a minute and just open up God's Word uh, together, the passage that Kate read for us. And before we do that, though, I want to begin with prayer. Um, God has spoken to us uh, in His Word and want to ask Him to speak to us afresh as we uh, think about it, hear it together, um, taught. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, we're grateful that you have spoken to us in and through your word, um, that it's living and active. And I pray now that as your uh, spirit does the work of making it come alive in our lives, that we wouldn't be hardened to it, um, but that we would have hearts that would be good soil and would bear much fruit. Um, I pray that for myself and for each one who hears now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are following Jesus and it's easy, you just might be doing it wrong. If following Jesus is easy, you're doing it wrong, or you're following the wrong Jesus. And that's what Jesus is getting at in these verses that we just heard read for us. And that's hard for me to hear because as a person, I, I like easy. Um, I'd rather not have uh, hard. I like the easy way. I think especially as a kid, this probably drove my parents nuts. I always tried to find out like sort of the easiest way to do a really um, hard or complicated task. And if I would have just sort of set out to just knock it out and do it, I probably would have taken far less time than my procrastination and my scheming of how to make it easier. Um, but we, we do this, don't we? In fact, Bill Gates uh, said that he would choose a lazy person to do a hard job because a lazy person would find an easy way to do it. Um, we love easily, and so naturally none of us are looking for ways to make our lives harder. Um, but what if the harder way was actually better? 
And what if our experiences of the easy life, the comfortable life, actually betray us, deceive us, promise something that is fleeting, that doesn't actually last? Because you see, too often, far too often, uh, TV preachers, best-selling Christian authors, as well as, as ordinary passion, pastors like me, ordinary Christians like you, can fall into the trap that, that we believe or we sell the lie that Christianity, the gospel, is about an easier, more comfortable life. That sort of life coach Jesus will help us reach our goals and get our act together, but that he won't actually fundamentally challenge our basic assumptions and goals about material ease or social acceptance or or success as defined by our neighbors or advertising. So let me ask you this question then. Uh, This morning, whether you're a Christian or not, If your life doesn't get easier because of Jesus, will you continue to follow him? Or really, probably more accurately, the question is, when your life gets harder, will will you still follow? Because see, often life with with my little Jesus as I tend to define him down, and it's comfortable, it's safe, requiring only sort of the minimal amount of faith or effort. And I guess most of us could probably say the same. You, you go to church, you give a little money, you say no to most of the big sins most of the time, and it's, it's pretty easy, which means we may just be following the wrong Jesus. Because if following Jesus is easy, you're doing it wrong. Now that may seem a bit harsh, right? I mean, wow, life is easy. I'm not really following Jesus. But if you've been with us for the past several weeks as we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount uh, and Jesus teaching here, that this, this isn't a surprise. We know this, right? Because this is what Jesus really keeps saying over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he throws every expectation upside down, expectations of the good life, what it means to be a good person. And Jesus talked about our issues, which we, we know from our experience, the problem that we have with our, our hearts of, of having the wrong motives as we do our actions, doing them before the wrong audience, this audience problem rather than doing our our good work before an audience of one that we tend to do it to please other people, to get them to like us, that we have uh, problems with trust, we have problems with judgment, and Jesus has challenged us on every one of these things. As he comes to the end of this sermon, we only have one more week left in the Sermon on the Mount here, it becomes crystal clear for his listeners, the, the crowds that have gathered around, his disciples, the religious leaders who are listening, it becomes crystal clear that the good life is hard. And the good person isn't always who it seems. And this morning, Jesus gives us a series of comparisons. Two gates, two trees, and two kinds of followers. And he shows us that the Jesus way is the unpopular way, that the Jesus way is the dangerous way, and that the Jesus way is ultimately often filled with those who are self-deceived that it's unpopular, that it's dangerous, and it's full of those often who are self-deceived. First, the Jesus way is unpopular. 
Because what Jesus is saying with these three metaphors, these three comparisons, is, is really saying the same thing three times, but with sort of a different nuance in, in each one. The first metaphor that Jesus uses in these verses is the metaphor of two gates. And I'm going to read those verses for us again in just a moment and listen for the contrast that Jesus draws between the two. One is easy, the other is hard. One is, is wide, the other is narrow. One attracts many, the other only a few. One is Jesus' way, the other is everyone else's way. So look again at verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus says that the entrance to his way, the Jesus way, is narrow. And the word narrow, is, it's not a comfortable word. It's not an easy word. To think of something as, as being narrow, even for us, is, it's like that's, that's not... It's not something easy or comfortable. In fact, that word that Jesus uses there is used in other places in Greek literature to describe a prison cell or a narrow, rough path that's not readily passable for a large group of people. Jesus' way is it's restrictive. He says, I'm the only way. The gate to the narrow way is open, but it's it's narrow. The, the wide way can accommodate all sorts of different kinds of motives, a variety of allegiances, compromises, but if you go to the Jesus way, if you follow after him, all that stuff, those allegiances, those different compromises, those, all that baggage doesn't fit through the gate. You have to leave it. Put your trust in one person. Commit yourself to one thing. It's narrow. And this is incredibly countercultural, isn't it? Because we tend to run to the popular, right? None of us wants to be unpopular. I said, unless you're into sort of really obscure indie music, then by definition, you, you have to run away from it once it becomes popular. But for most of us, we want the popular choice, right? You know, for example, if, if I'm going to go to a museum or check out a new restaurant or an attraction or a hotel, I mean, I'm getting on TripAdvisor or Yelp, I'm reading the reviews, what have other people experienced in this place? If it's gotten bad reviews or it's not very popular, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I mean, and how many of you have ever showed up at, at a, like an empty restaurant? And no, and no matter how good the food is, you kind of start to wonder, have I made a huge mistake? Why isn't anyone else here? If you're shopping online, right, you're on Amazon going through, it's like, I'm, I'm not going to buy it unless it has, it's a bestseller with the, you know, five out of five stores, it's getting at least four or above. We tend to live our lives by popular opinion and, and often with good reason, right? I mean, there's usually a reason why that product is the bestseller on Amazon. And if it has a lot of reviews with really high ratings, there's probably a safe bet that it's a good product, but how many stars would Jesus get? I mean, really, like, what if there was a, a website sort of like uh, Rate My Professors 
except for messiahs. You know, if you could go to ratemymessiah.com, what would Jesus' reviews say? Jesus says, if you're an angry person, you're a murderer. If you lust, you might consider gouging out an eye. If the happy life is the disappointed life, that you're to love your enemies and don't treasure what the world treasures, give it away. And those are just from the Sermon on the Mount. What about take up your cross, follow me to my execution, join me? If you start reading reviews like that, you're, wait a second, I don't, I don't know, is that who I want to follow? I mean, don't be surprised when people reject Jesus or when they reject you for following him. Because who can blame them at one level when this is what he calls us to? Because we, again, we have to remember Jesus is not a life coach who, who wants you to hire him to help you reach your goals. Jesus is the king who says, my way is the only way. And so if you want to follow Jesus, or, or maybe you're just thinking, yeah, my life does seem kind of easy. Am I really following? We have to ask ourselves, am I living against the grain? Is my lifestyle the unpopular one? Because we want to be popular, right? We, we want to be well-liked. I, mean, I do. I want to be liked by my friends, by my neighbors, by my congregation, by my family. But life in the kingdom of God, it's, it's not a democracy. It's not a, a place that's ruled by popular opinion. We don't live by a majority of opinion in the kingdom of God. We live in a, in a kingdom with a king, and he's Jesus. And if we value the same things as, as our non-Christian neighbors in the same ways that they value them, if your lifestyle looks the same, if, if your attitudes toward work and success is the same as your coworkers, just kind of anything to get ahead to that next promotion, if, if your view of sexuality is the same, just sort of as long as no one gets hurt, or raising your kids is the same, as long, just so, anything so long as they're successful, or how you use your time, this kind of rush, busy, hurry, pack the most in that you can, the way you think about money and stuff and politics, if it's the same as everyone else, you're following the wrong Jesus. If your lifestyle is the popular one, you're doing it wrong. And it's not to say that we need to go out of our way as Christians to be obnoxious or weird. That's not what this is about. And there's lots of people who go that route. That's not what I'm advocating but Jesus' definition of love, of self-sacrifice, of what it means to follow him, it, it's just simply so radical that, that there's nothing else like it. And that when people see us as people, the church, they may not understand why we would possibly choose to live like that, but they should see that there's something about it that's somehow deeply attractive. Sure, it's narrow. It's hard for the few but it leads to life. Choose the hard way. The second contrast is between two trees. It's a metaphor of, of two different kinds of trees that bear two different kinds of, of, of fruit. And Jesus' point here is not just that the way is unpopular, it's also dangerous. And at this moment, it's kind of like, wait a second, really? The, the only thing that we hate more than being unpopular is being in danger, right? And, and think about the ways that we, that we worship comfort and safety and ease. Is there anything that we value more? 
And for most of us, we have them, don't we? I mean, in, a, in abundance. Which raises the question, are we really following the right Jesus? Now, I've always thought of this next part of the text telling us that we need to bear fruit, like doing good works, which, which we do, and Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about that in other places in the gospel, but that's not the point in this particular section as he talks about bearing fruit. He's talking about the dangers around us, those who pretend to help us, often with good motives, but who actually lead to destruction. So listen to what Jesus says again here, beginning in verse 15. He says, "'Beware of false prophets.'" who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And then Jesus goes on to explain clearly that healthy trees produce good fruit, diseased trees produce bad fruit, and that that's how you can know the difference. And then he says in verse 19, he goes on and he continues, he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and will be thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. These false prophets, they, they don't proclaim the narrow way. And the fruit that ultimately is born out in their lives is ugly. They're ravenous wolves who are looking to devour you, Jesus says. It's a pretty vivid picture. You know, Jesus is a lot of things, but boring and vanilla isn't one of them. But it does sound a little weird, doesn't it? Like, who, who are these people that Jesus is talking about? Well, he's talking about spiritual leaders, prophets, pastors, teachers, church leaders. And what he says about them is be careful. So, for example, when you're looking for a church, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a place where following Jesus is easy? Or where you're stretched and challenged and sometimes it hurts? A place where all your needs are met or where you're expected to meet the needs of others. A place that's successful or faithful. How would you define a good church, a good pastor? What does that look like? But it's not just pastors and churches. It's anyone who influences us, right? Uh, Who are the people in your life who tempt you to make following Jesus just a little too easy? A little too easy to be true. I mean, love that person, pray for those people, don't stop longing for their best, but ask yourself, am I being watchful? Am I being watchful? Because we have to keep a watch on our own heart as well as the influences that are around us. Jesus says, beware here. There are really people, whether they're doing it on purpose or not, who will have the potential to deceive you and take you off path. And remember that the moment you think, I would never fall for the teachings of one of those wolves in sheep's clothing, that's the moment when you're in the most danger. And we forget how perilous faith is, don't we? How easy it is to lose interest, to run off, to drift out of alignment, to give up, to be deceived, to take advice from everyone, just trying to get a bunch of opinions, or to cut ourselves off and take advice from no one. But it it doesn't take much to get us out of alignment, does it? You know, when you think about it, in fact, there's only two things that get a car out of alignment. The first is obvious, right? It's potholes. It's the sudden jarring, bumping into a curb. And the second is just time. Drive your car long enough, it's just going to get out of alignment. Over time, inevitably, your car will just drift out of alignment. 
It just happens. And if we aren't watchful to the influences surrounding us, we too will get out of alignment slowly over time. Are you watchful? Are you growing in your understanding of the Scriptures to help you discern? Growing in your understanding of theology, of of who God is to help you discern truth? Are you surrounding yourself with others who are bearing good fruit, who can speak into your life? Again, this is one of the reasons why we're so um, excited about, passionate about community groups at Christ Community, because it provides a space where there are a smaller group of people who really know you, who can know your life, who can help keep you in alignment, can help you know when you're drifting. There's so many voices out there, so many theories on the good life, it's hard not to wander and so many, it's so, at times it's just so subtle, right? That we don't even realize that we're taking in a particular view of the world as we're watching a, a film or a TV show or reading a book, but subtly a different sort of picture of what the good life is begins to form in our minds. Are we being watchful? The Jesus way is unpopular, it's dangerous. Choose the hard way. This reminded me of a headline I saw in The Onion this week. Um, it said, report, getting out of bed in the morning sharply increased risk of things getting even worse. And the article concludes this way, in addition, we discovered that the chances of everything going completely and irreversibly downhill rose even higher should one subsequently get dressed and head toward the front door. After that point, once one has left their home, the likelihood of avoiding being weighed down by steadily mounting misery, pain, and humiliation was quite close to zero. Getting out of bed in the morning sharply increases risk of things getting even worse. Could the same be said of following Jesus? That following Jesus sharply increases risk of things getting even worse, or at least harder? Sometimes you just want to stay put, seduced by what's comfortable, safe. Right? I mean, are, are you with me in that? that? That you sense that you're being called to a new level uh, of obedience, that you, you see some area in your life where it's like, wow, I've been out of alignment. I've never even seen that before, but wow, I don't, I don't want to change that. <laughs> it's going to mean a lot of work. I think sometimes as pastors, we are to blame in this. We so badly want people to come to church, to stay, to meet Jesus, but in trying to reach everyone, we can make Jesus seem so vanilla, downplaying discipleship, commitment, actually following him. But the truth is with Jesus, we give up our rights, our preferences, our identity. We are no longer our own. And so following Jesus is easy for you. You're doing it wrong. The encouraging sort of flip side of that is that if you're following Jesus and life seems hard, that's okay. That's actually probably a good sign. It is hard. Which leads us to the last thing, and this is the hardest one of all, I think. Jesus moves from warning us about the wolves that would deceive us now here to warning us about those who deceive themselves Jesus' way is is full of the self-deceived, full of those who think that they are following Jesus, but they actually aren't. And you never know it because they look good. They look like 
Christians. They look like the kind of people who are really following Jesus, but they don't do the will of the Father, and Jesus doesn't know them. And I think these are some of the scariest verses in the whole Bible, honestly. And every time I read them, every time I reflect on them, they are incredibly sobering to me. Listen to what Jesus says, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? It means like teaching. Do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will say to you, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those who pretend, who play the part, who blend in, who, I mean, you swear they're Christians. And look at Jesus' description of them. I mean, they're, they're prophesying in his name. They're casting out demons. They're doing mighty work in his name. I mean, it, you look at them like, wow, this is a thriving ministry happening here. And it's not even that they're trying to fake it. Even they think they're in, right? They get to the end of this time and they say, Lord, Lord, we, we thought we were with you. They think they're good enough and yet they're self-deceived. And Jesus says, I don't know you. You see, it's not the ones who look spiritual, who look like they have it all together. It's not the ones who think they have all the right answers or, or the right list of rules, but rather those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven, Jesus says. It's, it's those who obey, who actually obey. Several years ago, really several decades ago, I should say, um, marriage and relationship expert Gary Chapman published a book called The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. And, and admittedly, the cover is kind of lame. Um, but, but the book's really been helpful to, to millions of people. And the, the basic idea of the book is that, you know, we, we give and receive love differently as, as people. So some of us, the, the way that we really receive love is, is spending quality time together and an afternoon of just being together. Uh, for others, it's not so much the time spent, but it's words of affirmation, encouragement that really communicate that sense of love. And so it's helpful to know with your, your kids or your friends or your spouse or even your coworkers, how do they experience love and care? And basically what Jesus is saying here is that his love language is obedience. If you want to communicate love to Jesus, obey him. And he says it even more explicitly in, in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. What if my first thought was always faith-filled obedience? What does God want me to do? And then, and then I did that. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus, to do the will of the Father. Now, Jesus is not, we need to be really careful here, Jesus is not saying we have to earn the Father's love or that only those who are super good get into heaven when they die. 
None of us would make it. Salvation comes through faith alone. No amount of good works will ever be enough to earn God's favor. Everything goes back to faith in Jesus. Every page of this book points to him. Everything is pointing us to to faith alone in Christ alone, salvation by grace alone. But faith in Jesus always leads to a changed life. Faith in Jesus always leads to an unpopular and dangerous path. And if it's easy, you're probably following the wrong Jesus. And so we've got to ask, who am I really following? A philosopher, Dallas Willard, said that the greatest mission field in America is the local church. Because in every church, there are those who think that they're Christians but aren't. Could you be one of them? Because just coming to church on Sunday doesn't make you Christian. Just knowing lots of facts about the Bible and theology doesn't make you a Christian. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they knew their Bibles well, and yet they missed Jesus. So you search the scriptures because you think that in them there's eternal life, but you have missed me, Jesus said. It was one of the most sobering moments for me when I was in Bible college. I realized I was increasing so rapidly in facts and knowledge about this book. But it's possible to do that and miss Jesus. It's not just having a lot of Bible information, a lot of theological jargon that makes you a Christian. Only faith in Jesus, only really knowing him and being known by him makes you a Christian. And faith, it's dependence, it's allegiance, it's confession of sin and choosing obedience. It's not perfection, but it's a new identity, a new hope, a narrow way, a healthy tree. It's hard, it's unpopular, it's dangerous, but it's also life. So have you given your life to Jesus? Have you said to him, I am yours. I trust you completely. I'm not going to rely on myself anymore. I'm not going to rely on how much I know about the Bible. I'm not going to rely on how many people I've helped or or how good my life is or how successful I've been, but I'm going to rely on Jesus alone. Have you done that? And if not, what's stopping you? I think I know what, what's stopping at least some of you. And, it, and it's not just doubts, although doubts are legitimate. And if you have questions about the intellectual kind of coherence of Christian faith, like, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to think with you about, about those questions. But often it's not doubts. It's not intellectual questions that keep us from trusting. It's because it's so hard. And if it's this difficult to follow Jesus, if the way really is this narrow, if it actually is so hard, then what's the point? Why would I choose his way? For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. There's life in this hard and narrow way. Wholeness, forgiveness, meaning and satisfaction, hope. And where else can you find hope today? And, and, I, and I get that struggle because 
listen, following Jesus is hard, and I'm with you. It's difficult on a regular basis. But John chapter 6, there's this story that Rachel and I have often gone back to, and it's been really meaningful to us in various parts of our journey, both before we were married and, and now together, that when things are difficult. And in the John chapter 6, very similar. Jesus is teaching his followers, and it's hard. And, and it's too hard for many of them, and the disciples are grumbling about it. And so this is what Jesus says. He says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Everybody's kind of flocking away, and Jesus turns and says, do you want to leave too? Have you ever felt like that? Man, this Jesus thing, it's just so hard. I'm so discouraged or apathetic or, or overwhelmed by doubt or complacency or disobedience or just months or years of seemingly unanswered prayer, and you're thinking about walking away. You're thinking about leaving. Do I really want to keep following? And in those moments, I think about Peter. And Peter certainly was not the perfect disciple. And, you know, he gets picked on a lot because all of his failures got written down in the Bible for us to read for 2,000 years. I'm grateful that's not true for me. But I can relate a lot to Peter. And I love his response in this moment when Jesus says, are you going to leave too? And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else would I go? With you is life. With you is God. And that's, I mean, I have had those moments in my life where I said, this is so hard. I don't want to do this anymore. And yet as I look around, life isn't anywhere else. There's, this is the only place that life is. You can go on doing it your own way, life in your own terms, exchanging what is meaningful for what is easy, replacing hope with endless striving, picking comfort over change, safety over faithfulness, your way over his, and ultimately death over life. But why would you? He has the words of eternal life. See, Jesus took the hard way for you, he chose to come. He left everything to die, to offer life and forgiveness in a better way of living. He died and rose again to give us what we truly need, what we truly long for. Yes, this is the hard way, but it is better. He, we talk often about the cost of discipleship. That's what this, this sermon's all about. That's what, what this message, this passage is all about, the cost of discipleship, the difficulty in following Jesus, the cost that's involved in following him. But do we ever consider the cost of non-discipleship? The cost of non-discipleship. Again, philosopher Dallas Ward writes this. He says, the cost, of the cost of discipleship is great, he says, but the cost of non-discipleship is far greater. Non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in light of God's overwhelming governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. And Dallas says this, in short, it costs exactly the abundance of life that Jesus said he came to bring. What is the cost of non-discipleship? 
In short, it costs exactly the abundance of life that Jesus said he came to bring. The cost of discipleship is great. But the cost of non-discipleship is far greater. It really is. following Jesus is easy for you, you're probably doing it wrong. Following a Jesus who's too small, who looks way too much like you, who loves and hates exactly the same things you do. So choose the hard way. It'll rarely be easy, but it will always be better, and it's the only way to abundant life, both here, now, as well as forever. Choose life. It's hard, but choose life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would draw us to the narrow gate. The way that is wide is so much easier, and we don't even have to choose it. We're just going that way. We just drift that way. So help us to go into the narrow way There are those of us here who have never done that, who we say, I'm on that wide way and I don't want to be on that wide way anymore. I want to go to the narrow way. Would you bring about that moment in, in their lives? If there are those here today, those of us here, as we look at this passage of warning and we think maybe I all along I've been coming to church and I know a lot about the Bible, but I don't know if I actually really do know Jesus. Would you bring true life there? For those of us who are on the narrow way, would you protect us from the wolves in sheep's clothing who would seek to draw us away? Help us to be watchful. Not, not paranoid, but watchful. In Jesus' name, amen.